All right, so if you've ever been lost, how many of you have ever been lost? Then you know how good it is to be found, right? How good it is to be wanted. Um, if you've ever been on, like in gym class, and they were picking teams, and you were the one like me that actually didn't get picked, because you were just like by the thought, like, just give me him, then you know what it's like when you're actually picked to be somewhere, when they want you. If you've ever had a job and they offered you a raise or they offered you a promotion, they came to you and said, you're the perfect person for this job. You know how good it is to be wanted. When I went to Wingate College, now it's Wingate University. When I went to Wingate College, um, I was sitting in religion class, and I was in the back row. <laughs> this is going to be a bad story for a future preacher, I know, but I'm in the back row of a religion class, and my, my main goal in the religion class was, this was in the 80s. Y'all remember 80s hair? Oh, my. We should have, I should have bought slides for that, right, 80s hair. Um, but 80s hair was so big, right, and like a whole can of spray to get it to stay in place. It was so sprayed up and so big and so out from your head. Like, you could do things to people with 80s hair, and they wouldn't even know it. So, like, in religion class on the back row, my entire goal, every class, was to wad up these little small paper wads and see how many of them I could launch up and over the two or three rows in front of me and land them in Wendy Flanders' hair on the front row because she was in the same class, and I thought she was amazing, right? And so, like, I'm just lofting these things. I wanted to get, I wanted to see how many I could land in her hair during the class and not, also not let the professor see me do it. It was very challenging, and now I'm a pastor. What in the world happened, right? But, but after we finally met in the library, I was already in love with somebody else. But, oh, Wendy would not take no for an answer, right? She pursued me. She hunted me down. She said, I'm going to have that boy for my own. And can you blame her? I mean, look at me. Right? Yeah, okay, whatever. Amen, amen. You got here just in time for that. <laughs> Pursuit is everything. Man, when we're wanted by something, we're pursued. It, it feels so good. It's terrible to be forgotten. It feels great to be pursued. And what I want you to hear me say this morning as we kick this series off, these next nine weeks, we're going to be in Luke chapters 13, 14, and 15. And this lost and found series, I want you to hear me say this early and often. You and I serve a God who is pursuing people. Like, he wants you. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Paul, today, like, no. This is the end of, like, last week was my worst week. I was the worst mom. I was the worst dad. I was the worst spouse, the worst employee. Actually, Paul, if I'm being honest, on the way to church today, we had the biggest fight we've ever had in the car coming today. There's no way that God could really want me. And I want you to hear me say from Scripture, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture. Is that cool with you guys? You can just jot them down. I'll read them to you. I want you to hear me say, without a doubt from Scripture, that God is pursuing you. And uh, even at our worst, I mean, I'm not even going to ask you to look at your neighbor, but like even at our worst, right, he pursues us. A couple of Scriptures for you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, some of you are here, and you're not in the, you're not in the church. You're, you don't know the Bible, and it's, it's all good, right? Let me just give you a quick summary of the Bible. In the beginning, God began it. It only took three chapters for men to screw it up, and then everything else is Jesus coming to fix it. That's the Bible right there, okay? Now, listen, here's what happened. We messed it up. Adam and Eve messed it up. And I know you're like me. You're thinking, if I'd have just been there, 
If I had just been there, I wouldn't have taken that fruit. I'd have done the right thing. And we all know that you're lying, right? We all know that we all would have made the same choice. And so Adam and Eve, they, they sinned. They messed the whole thing up. And immediately after they sinned, Genesis 3.15, this is what God said. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan. And between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head. I mean, the minute that mankind messed this thing up, God immediately promised a redemptive pursuit. He said, I'm coming. I'm coming for you. I'm coming after you. John 10.10. Man, John 10.10. We know this verse. We talk about it all the time. The thief comes to, who can tell me? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Here's what we know from that verse. God is pursuing us, and we have an enemy who doesn't want him to get us. We have an enemy who wants to steal from us, who wants to kill us. We have an enemy who wants to take us. And here's what I want you to know this morning. We have a father who is not willing to allow us to be taken. And he has a message for an enemy who tries to take us. Check it out. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you, and I will kill you. Good luck. Possibly the best guy movie ever made. Taken. This is the message that God has for our enemy. You mess with my kids, and I will find you. How do we know that? Luke 19.10. Jesus said, I've come for this. I've come to seek and to save the lost. God's not content for us to stay lost. He's always pursuing people. Listen, the point of this little series, Lost and Found, the point is not to make you feel bad for being lost. It's not even to make you feel bad for not seeing the lost. The point of this series is to fill us with hope that God is always seeking lost things, lost people. He's always seeking the lost. Now, God has, I love that line, God has a particular set of skills when it comes to seeking the lost. And one of those particular set of skills is you. Like, he wants to use you. And I know you're thinking, that's crazy. I'm married to the you that you're pointing at. He wants to use his people. His particular set of skills is to find people and then allow them to find people. Here's how we like to say it. Found people find people. When you've been found, you then turn around and help God find. God's got a plan. His plan is for his mission to be ours. Listen to what Jesus said, John 20, 21. He's talking to his disciples, and he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
I'm now sending you. Now, how did, they, how did God send Jesus? He said, son, I got a mission. Go get him. The enemy's taking him. Go find him. Use your particular set of skills. Go hunt that enemy down. Kill him. That's what happened at the cross. And get my people back. And so Jesus does that. And he turns to his disciples, like people like me and you. And it's crazy. And he goes, so like that's how God sent me, and now I'm going to send you the same way. He didn't say, I'm going to send you to go sit in church on your butt. I'm sending you to go search and find, to go help me find people that are lost and bring them back in. So when God has a plan, and how many of you have ever been so passionate about something, and then you're around people who are not, they don't share your passion for that? You ever experienced that? Like maybe you're passionate about, let me throw a couple things out. The Tar Heels got a win yesterday, so let's talk about them. You're passionate about Tar Heel football. Yeah, right? Come on. You're not alone. Anybody else passionate about Tar Heel football? Oh, that was sad. So you're experiencing, no, no, you're experiencing exactly what we're talking about. Like when you're passionate about something and nobody joins you, it kind of ticks you off a little bit. It's like, come on, people, let's go. How about the Panthers? Anybody passionate about the Panthers? When you're passionate about the Panthers, don't you want to punch Cowboy fans in the face? Yes, because they don't share your passion, right? So what we're going to find, we're in, in Luke. What we're going to find in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for some of us. It's because Jesus is going to kind of not punch us in the face, but he's going to hit us with some pretty hard words. The good news for us is this. Have you ever, um, athletes, have you ever been in practice and you weren't really giving it your best shot? And, and then the coach saw somebody else that also wasn't giving it their best shot and just tore into them. And you were like, I'm so glad he didn't see me. But then you leaned in to listen to what he said to them so that you could learn the lesson from them while they were getting chewed out. That's kind of what's going to happen here. Listen, a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man learns from someone else's mistakes, right? And so today we're hopefully going to learn from some mistakes that some religious leaders made with Jesus. When Jesus was like, I'm coming to seek and save the lost, I'm on a mission to find people. And he starts to teach, he starts to give us some warnings about where our hearts are. Listen, here's your big idea today. The pursuit is about the heart before it's about the hurt. So God has to deal with our heart before he can use us to heal their heart, their hurts. He's got to deal with our heart, and that's what's going to happen in this passage. We know that God's heart is for the lost. But the challenge this week from Jesus is, does our heart match God's heart? Do we have the same heart for the loss that God does? Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your wallet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I read that wrong. Sorry. Guard your heart, right? Guard your heart. And why should we guard our heart? For everything you do flows from it. Everything we do flows from it. So I want to read Luke chapter 13. I'm going to read 17 verses. I know it's a lot, but it, hang with me. And I'm going to give you three warnings. Just point out three warnings that Jesus gave to the religious leaders, the people that he was teaching, that I think we can learn from, okay? If we, were, if we want to have the heart of a pursuer, then we've got, we got to pay attention to these warnings. Here we go, Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now, there, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. He literally killed people as they were offering sacrifices and mixed their blood in with the sacrifices, and other people drank it. Do I have your attention now? That was in the Bible. What? Verse 2. 
Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered like this? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went out to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who was in charge of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. If you're here in the house and you don't like figs, you're just like, so what? He likes figs, right? But if you like figs, right? He says, cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Verse 10, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to get water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, who has been taken should she not also be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, and all the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. Let me give you three warnings that I see in these, past, in these, these verses. Here's the first one. They'll be on the screen too. We won't extend grace if we think people are getting what they deserve. We won't extend grace if we think people are getting what they deserve. Now, listen, we live in a world where uh, you could turn the news on any week and see two, three, four tragedies all around the world, right? Jesus described, he described a murder. I mean, it's like us being here at church and having communion, and somebody comes in and kills a bunch of us and mixes the blood in with it. It's just bizarre and weird. And then his tower falls on 18 people in Jerusalem and kills them. And what Jesus is saying to these men that he's talking to is you don't have any compassion on them because you think that they deserved it because of their sin. We'll never extend grace because grace is undeserved. We'll never extend grace to people if we think they're getting what they deserve. Now, here's what I know about um, y'all. You're nice folk. You're nice people, right? Like you would never turn on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, any of the news networks and watch video of people being tormented and hurt. Like let's... Let's just use the example of, of how people will just drive a car up and onto a sidewalk and just plow through people. You would never watch video of that and turn to your spouse, your family, and go, well, they deserved it. I don't think. I mean, I hope not. I don't think you would do that. But how many times have you been at work? How many times have you been with family? How many times have you been around people that you're around all the time, and they do something that is either sinful or stupid, and they pay the consequence for it, and your first thought is, well, I hope they learn this time. Not grace. Not grace. We just judge them from a distance. We try to diagnose the problem without dealing with the people. And that's not the gospel. Jesus came to extend grace. We live in a, in a drive-by culture. We live in a culture where um, everybody is 
shaming somebody over shame. It's just crazy. Like, how many, how many types of shaming can there be, right? There's, like, body shaming, tattoo shaming. I don't have any tattoos. That's my shame, right? Uh, luxury shaming, snack shaming, salary sh- I was just, I was looking, like, how many types of shaming can there be? I found one called filter shaming. No joke. Now, if you don't know what Instagram is and Snapchat, then, like, what's a filter? Is that, like, what you put in your air conditioning? No, right? A filter, like, you take a picture and you use a filter to make the picture look even better, like when you have a face like mine, you get really used to filters. You use them a lot, right? That's what you do. I found this story about a, a teenage girl who had really bad acne because she's a teenage girl, right? Anyway, she had really bad acne, and she would always take pictures on Instagram, and she would always use filters to try to get rid of the acne. And then she actually accused girls that she knew that I guess were perfect, and she called them selfie queens. She accused them of filter shaming her because she used filters. It's crazy. Like, this is a crazy world that we live in. We're basically shaming shame, and I don't really know how that works. But what I know is that that culture has seeped into the church. Now, listen, here's how the church uses shame. We version shame. I have to say that. I have to enunciate that very well. We version shame. Do you know what version shaming is? Can we put that first picture up and give you an idea? This is version shaming. Independent, old-timey, hellfire, brimstone, King James preaching. Now, listen, you may prefer the King James version, and that's totally okay. I have a master's of divinity. Don't always understand the King James, right? So I'm like NIV, NLT, sometimes the message because it really helps me, right? I mean, it's okay, and I even can read the King James. If that's your preferred version, that's sweet, that's fantastic, good for you, but version shaming comes in when we're convinced that that's the only version. And everybody else who uses it isn't as good as us. We have a few more just to show you what I'm talking about. KJV Bible stands and it will forever. Maybe. Welcome, KJB. Don't rewrite it. Reread it. That makes me feel good. This one's fantastic. Use the book God uses, the King James Bible. Pure, perfect, preserved. Sounds like a jelly, doesn't it? God bless America and the KJV Bible. Home improvement begins with the King James Bible. That's why your families are falling apart because you're not using King James. See, this is, again, the point is not to make you feel bad if you use the King James. The point is when we believe that what we're doing is so much better than all the other peons that aren't doing it. We'll never extend grace if we think people are getting what they deserve. Well, you deserved it because of your sin. You're such a bad sinner. You deserve that to happen. We've got to be merciful. The church cannot afford to be known for sin shaming. Man, you ever been a part of that? Like you go to, you go to church and you really want hope and you leave church feeling worse than when you walked in because they told you how bad you already knew you were. Man, the church, we can't be known for sin shaming. Because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus did not come to shame the sinner. He came to save the sinner. I'm so thankful for that. We've got to be merciful. If we'll be merciful, then we'll extend grace to people. Listen, even if they do deserve it. Because mercy gives grace that's not deserved. Jude Jude, Jude verses 22 and 23 say, We must be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. Here's the second warning. Uh, Jesus tells this kind of little weird parable in the middle here about a fig tree that he tried to get fruit from, and, like, there was no fruit, and so he said, cut it down. Um, 
a fruit tree without fruit is just an ugly stick. That's the warning. A fruit tree without fruit is just an ugly stick. We need to be fruitful. The mission to find the lost is too critical to simply exist for the sake of existing. 1 Peter 4, 7, there's urgency in this verse. I love how it's worded. It says this, the end of all things is near. Now, full disclosure, um, just curious, how many of you have been in church most of your life? Anybody here? So I know it's the Bible Belt. So I also, that's my, that's my story. Not Wendy's story, my story. So I'm old enough now that I've heard end time messages for a few decades. I've heard them long enough for me to read that verse. And, and if you're like me, you go, eh, I don't know if it's near. Because when I was 10, they said it was near. And now I'm not 10, Right? But that's not the point. The point is this. The end of all things is near, which means we have a limited amount of time. Would you agree with that? I have lived long enough to know that I'm on the, I'm on the other side of limited amount of time. And so if there's a limited amount of time, that limited amount of time should give us an urgency about how we live. And so the, what that verse is saying, the end of all things is near. There's a limited amount of time. Therefore, be alert. Be sober. Pray. And what he's basically saying is, there's only so much time. Do something. Like there are people lost. There are people that need to be found. We only have so much time to do it, so let's go. Let's do it. Like, let's don't just be an ugly stick that never bears fruit. I want to be a tree that is planted in waters that bears fruit all the time, in season and out of season. I don't want to be an ugly, fake Christmas tree. I want to be the real deal. And that's what he's saying. There are so many scriptures about, re- about bearing fruit. You'll look at a bunch of those this week in your community groups. But John 15, 16 says this, that you've been chosen in order to bear fruit. I mean, we talked about how good it was to be chosen. Um, one of I w- I was, our family, like, I could probably sing every song from Dear Evan Hansen. If you don't know what that is, it's okay. But Dear Evan Hansen is um, the by far most popular Broadway show right now. And the hashtag is you will be found. And it's all about this kid that just feels invisible and how he, he gets found um, by people and he's noticed. And, like, everybody wants to be found, right? We talked about that, how good it is to be found, to be chosen. But you weren't picked just to be picked. John fifteen sixteen says you were chosen to bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And, and there's all kinds of fruit. I get it. But in the context of Luke's 13, 14, and 15, the fruit is souls. That's the mission that we're on. So if we're going to bear fruit as a church, you know what that means? Souls coming to Jesus all the time. That's how we bear fruit, and that's the fruit that lasts. Jesus has no time for fruitless trees. I'm going to say that again because that's a harsh word. I know it, but just listen to the, the impact of it. He has no time for fruitless trees. He said, cut it down. Why should it use the soil? Perry Noble, um, who, who used to be the pastor at New Spring, um, he would make comments like, today's, um, today's message is going to be a space maker. Like, what's a space maker? He's like, today's one of those messages that you're either going to stay or leave, but if you leave, it's okay because we need your space. You're just taking up space. Because there are people that we need to win to Jesus, and we just don't need you to sit here and do nothing. Even Pastor Jeff talked about that when he was here, he was here during an encounter. We make room for Jesus, and he fills it. We learned that when we were in India. 
Man, I love the picture here. He, the guy that's in charge of the vineyard said, let me dig around the tree. Let me make some space around the tree so the fertilizer can get down in there, and then they'll see what happens in a year. Listen, God's making space. We're making space moving over here because we want God to fertilize and cultivate us so that we can become even better at the bearing the fruit of souls. It's what he's doing in us. Jesus fills empty spaces. We must be fruitful. And here's, here's the third one. We won't extend grace if we think people are getting what they deserve. A fruit tree without fruit is just an ugly stick. And, and, and let me just set this third one up for you. At the end, he tells about what happened on the Sabbath, right? So Jesus is in the synagogues. He's teaching, and a woman walks in who can't stand up straight. You ever felt like you can't get your life straight? No matter how hard you try, you just can't get your life straight. The only way your life gets straight is with Jesus. And Jesus touches this woman, and she, she straightens up. Jesus helps her get straightened. And when everybody should have been excited about it, the man in charge of the synagogue grabbed the microphone, if they'd have had one, grabbed the mic, and told all of the church how what Jesus had just done was wrong. Listen, you got a lot of... Um, What's the best way to say it? Earn internal fortitude when you're grabbing the mic and teaching a church that what Jesus just did is wrong. But that's what he did. He said, hold up. Like, there's other days for that, not on the Sabbath. Don't mess up our stuff. There's other times for that. And what he's basically saying is he's compartmentalized his life. Like, can I just say this? And, again, I know Pastor Jeff said this when he was here. The longer we're in church the easier it is to forget what it was like outside of church. The easier it is to compartmentalize your, well, I worship on Sunday. I mean, I don't, I don't even want to tell you what I do Monday through Saturday. Why don't you bring your coworkers to church with you? Oh, they would probably never come. Why? Well, because they're my coworkers. Why? Well, they see me at my worst. Oh, so you don't take Sunday, you to work. That's what he's saying. And nothing reveals the hypocrisy in us more than when people get saved. So here's your third warning. When Jesus straightens a life, it's an opportunity to realign ours. Whenever he starts to move in people's hearts, and, and let's just bring this home. How many of you have loved ones? You don't have to raise your hand. Loved ones, family members, coworkers, that, that you're praying for Jesus to save them. I mean, they're making horrible decisions, if we're being honest. They are really wrecking their lives. You don't mean, we don't mean that in a judgmental way. We're just watching the train wreck, right? We see it. And we're like, God, please save them. Have you ever gotten to the place where you have started to ask yourself, if they came to, to the gathering and they responded to a message and they gave their heart to Jesus, would I even believe it? It can be that way. You can be so, you, you pray for so long. And then when Jesus changes their life, your heart has grown so cold towards them, you can't even rejoice in what just happened. So we have to take the opportunity to realign our life back to the mission. So how do we do that? We need to be mindful. We've got to stay mindful of what Jesus did for us. First uh, Peter 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us, everybody say us, that's me, us, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He did that for us. 
Like, people need to be found, but you needed to be found, and I needed to be found, and he found us. And because he found us, if we'll stay mindful of the fact that he found us, it's so much easier to rejoice when he finds other people. Instead of, well, why did he save them? Doesn't he know what kind of a jerk they are? And now we're right back to number one. We want them to get what we think they deserve. Man, found people, find people. It all starts by staying mindful of what the mercy of God has done for us. Just as we kind of bring this to a close, I, I couldn't even show you my favorite clip from Taken. I love that movie. Just every, every man cell in me is just like, Ugh. My favorite clip from Taken, I couldn't show you because there's so much shooting in it, and I didn't know how y'all would respond to that. I, I wasn't really sure. I should have done it anyway, but so much blood. So much, that's why it's such a great scene. Anyway, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, but I'm sure you have. The end, remember the movie at the end, and he gets on the boat, and he's all by himself, and then all of a sudden he, he kills like a billion people on the boat. How does he do that, right? Just everywhere he shoots, somebody drops. And, and he finally busts into the, the room, into the bedroom, and there's his daughter with like, it's always, a, it's always like an older, middle-aged, sweaty man. I don't know why that is, but like he's there, and he's like, it's just gross. And he's got a, a knife to her throat, and he's holding her like this. And Liam Nielsen's just sitting there with a gun pointed at him. And the, like, the music swells. You know when the music swells, something's going to happen, right? You know that's going to happen. And the music swells. And the best scene is when he shoots that dude and he just drops. And the music dies down. And here's the dialogue in that moment. She says, Dad. And he says, Kim. And she says, <laughs> you came for me. That's the God we serve. He comes for us. We don't deserve it. We may have really made some boneheaded decisions, but he comes for us because he's a God who pursues us, and the pursuit changes everything. Listen, there's a couple of groups of people in here that I want to pray for this morning. I mean, one, obviously, is if you've never given your heart to Christ, you've never made a decision to follow him, I'd love to pray with you to follow Jesus this morning. It's the best decision you'll ever make to say yes to the God who's been pursuing you probably a lot longer than you thought he had been. I want to pray for those of you that are here this morning. And you're a believer. But if you're honest, you're a little bit more like the people we just read about. You've kind of lost a heart for the lost. And God wants you to join the pursuit, and you're kind of like, I don't want to. I want to pray for you. In my NIV Bible, the, the heading over Luke 13 is repent or perish. What a way to start a series, right? Repent or perish. But that's, we, we read that and go, well, yeah, he's talking to all the bad people, but I think he's talking to us. We have to repent if our hearts have grown cold to the lost. We have to ask him to give us his heart for the lost. Maybe you haven't guarded your heart, that wellspring of life, and so now the, the spring is a little bit murky and dirty and the water is not coming out like you wish it would. You need to ask him to cleanse you of that. And then I want to pray for a third group of people. You're here this morning. 
And, man, you're like, I'm so glad you're preaching this. I've been waiting on, man, for you to preach this. I, I, I am pursuing somebody right now. I want to see them come to Christ. And I want to pray for you that God would fill you with his heart for them and that you would join the pursuit with his heart and you would go hard after seeing those people come to Christ. Maybe, you're, maybe you, as we pray, you want to write their name down on your note card so that you have a constant reminder, this is who I'm running after. This is who I'm pursuing. This is who I want to see come to Christ. Maybe over the next eight, nine weeks, you bring them here so they can hear the gospel and start following him as well. So would you just close your eyes? Um, I'm just give you a chance to respond. If you're here and you've never followed Jesus in that first group and you were like, that's me, I, I, I want to do that this morning, just raise your hand and say, I'd love to, would you just pray for me, Paul? I'd love to start following Jesus this morning. But believers, you have somebody on your heart that you've been pursuing for Christ. And this morning is just like gas on that fire. You're like, man, I am even more stoked about that. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me? Thank you so much. I love that. Love that. We're going to pray that God just fills you with his passion for that person. And he's going to use you to pursue them. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And that last group I want to pray for are those of you that are here. Um, this can be hard to admit, but, but you know, it's important. That if we don't have the same heart for the loss that God does, it's important for us to repent of that. And just say, God, forgive me for losing my first love, for forgetting what it was like when you showed me mercy. And we just re restore that to me so that I can go hard after people that need Jesus. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, that's me? I just want to repent of that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, let's pray right now. Father, in your name, Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who pursues us. And you do it to the ends of the earth. You don't pursue us. You don't look for us for a day or two and get tired and figure, I'll never find them, I'm done. You always pursue us. Psalm 139 says there's nowhere that we can go that your spirit would not find us. And so we want to say thank you. Those of us in this room that have been found by you, we want to say thank you for pursuing us and thank you for then allowing us to be a part of the pursuit. God, if found people find people, then I want to go find some people. And so I'm asking that you would fill us, God, with your heart for the lost and that you would fill us, God, with a passion to go pursue these people that we've already had a heart for. Go with us as we leave this place, God. Give us a week, God, with you seeing people come to Christ like never before. The end of all things is near, at least nearer. Help us to live accordingly this week. Thank you, God, for healing our hearts so you can use us to heal people's hurts. In your name, Jesus, amen.